Amen. Stand with us as we continue our worship time. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one.
Father, thank you to remind us to count our blessings each and every day and to name them one by one. Father, we pray that you would be with us during this time of worship together today as we lift your name high. Father, you have made us glad and we have entered your courts today with praise and our prayers that as you've looked down in this place today and heard the words of these precious songs sung to you, Father, that you've been pleased with our worship this morning. And Father, we do bring the sacrifice of praise into this house today, and we lift it high to you today. Father, because we love you, because you gave the ultimate sacrifice for us that we may have life eternal with you. Father, be with our pastor today. Hold him up today. Father, give him the words that you would have us to hear today. Father, thank you for assembling us together. Be with those that are away today, those in the hospitals, those that are sick, not able to be here, those that have lost loved ones in recent days. Father, we continue to lift them up to you, Father. Be a comfort to them. Father, we ask that you would bless our time together today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 This is the day the Lord has made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. And um, I'm thankful when we have those songs, when um, Steve gets to encourage us to let our countenance on our face reflect the joy that we have in our hearts. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, I am so excited that our kids are home from camp. Um, my own son was a part of that. But you see several of these shirts around. Somebody said to me, to me this morning, Pastor, we're taking this casual attire thing to a whole new level. And, um, but Brother Tim said, hey, would you please um, wear the camp shirt with us? So I was happy to do that. And I tell you what, my heart is full, Claire, when I hear some uh, one of our students like you come and share on behalf of this church. You energize our church. You kids make a difference for us. And so let's join together in thanking her for the testimony that she gave today. That is extremely exciting. I also see Ethan Miller up in the balcony. Ethan, I've been waiting for you to come back home. Uh, we celebrated a Eagle Scout Award for Ethan several weeks ago. And so let's join in celebrating with him. What an accomplishment um, to arrive at Eagle Scout. So those are big things. Uh, we love um, our student ministry. We invest in it deeply, and I'm, deep, I'm thankful for Tim and all that he's doing. Well, I am excited to be in the pulpit today, excited to be back again um, in this ongoing um, series, if you will, that we've been in, the big events in the Old Testament, we've been embracing those big names of the Old Testament. And last Sunday morning, uh, we arrived um, at Joseph. And um, if there is a bigger name than Joseph in our Old Testament, it's hard to find that. We learned last week that 25% of the entire book of Genesis is devoted to him. 
And because of his size and scope and significance, it's really worthy for us to enter into a mini-series within the larger context that we're in. And the title of this series for Joseph is Joseph's Road, because we're going to be traveling with Joseph. And the reason I want to pause for Joseph is not just because of the amount of Scripture that, that is devoted to him, but because the fact that Joseph is somebody who found success. And, and I find in life that everybody seems to want the same thing. Uh, you want success in your life, um, but the problem is that we're taking our cues and our clues as to what success is from the world. And I want to share with you several quotes that come from various people that help define kind of a worldly view of success for us. Al Bernstein said this, success is often the result of taking a misstep in the right direction. That's one way of seeing that. Winston Churchill said success is going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. And then many of our ladies probably have read Irma Bombeck. I love some of the things she writes. She said, don't confuse fame with success. She said, Madonna is one, Helen Keller is the other. And so it's very interesting the way it's seen. Um, but the truth is, we really don't need uh, the definition of success to come from people in this world. We really just need to go to God's Word. And God's Word, although it doesn't voice this implicitly or, or in verbatim, we do know this from God's Word, that success is finding and then following God's will for your life. So if you want to be successful, if you want to be successful in a way that counts, in a way that God is pleased with it, then you'll understand it's finding God's will and then following God's will for you. And so this brings us back to Joseph and allows us to center on him because Joseph was one of the most successful people in all of history. Now, we know he started out as an egotistical, conceited, um, attitudinal, if you will, teenager, but he ends up as one of the most powerful men of the entire ancient world, and I think he serves as a great model of success for us. Now, last Sunday on Joseph's Road, we discovered, just like our road, that it's not all smooth sailing that Joseph encountered some speed bumps. And I, and I got a firm confirmation from you last Sunday, you don't like speed bumps any more than I do. Um, speed bumps are frustrating, but we have these things in our lives that slow us down, and God teaches us. And then for Joseph, there were three speed bumps, a critical attitude, a conceited attitude, and a self-centered attitude. So Joseph had to get rid of those things if God was going to bless him. And the truth is that as we looked at Joseph, there was a mirror in front of us. We have to understand that we have our own issues. But today, we're going to move on from, from speed bumps, and now we're going to go to potholes. So I've got the next question. How many of you like a good pothole? Uh, we hate those less than, we hate those more than speed bumps, right? Um, and potholes are well known to us here locally. Somebody say amen. All right, so so a pothole or a sinkhole, it can catch you by surprise if you're not careful. And that reminds me, it takes me all the way back to 1980, growing up out in West Texas. Any of you that were in the vicinity back in that time, you know that there was a, a huge sinkhole that formed in the West Texas town, Wink, Texas. 
and the ground collapsed. It almost took in Highway 115. It consumed almost a huge battery of oil tanks just several hundred yards away, and it caught many of the local residents by surprise. By the way, if you want to do it, you can go on YouTube or whatever and look up look up the Wink Sink, and you'll find pictures of that pothole or that sinkhole. But But that's what really happened to Joseph. Joseph had a sinkhole kind of show up in his life unexpected. And the reason it was unexpected is because he was the favorite kid. Um, he was the one who got the technicolor coat. He was daddy's favorite son. But here's the sinkhole, the pothole, was that his brothers hated him. Uh, we can go so far to use language. I remember growing up, they hated his guts, right? That's how we used to say that. And soon that hatred, it escalated, and Joseph found himself quite literally in a sinkhole or a pothole of despair. So with all of that, let's now take our Bibles and let's go to the story found in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, We're going to read a lot of text this morning because I want us to hear the entire story. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 18, we'll read all the way through verse 36. Let's go ahead and stand together as we honor God's Word this morning, standing in its presence today. Let's read together Genesis 37, 18. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance... And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now stop right there. Do you remember his dreams? We, we laughed about those last week. He said they were all going to bow down to him. And they basically said, oh, really? Right? And that's what's caused this to fester and come to the surface. So let's keep reading. Verse 21. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of that technicolor coat, his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take down, take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, His brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe in the blood. How cruel, right? They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, Father, we've found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. 
Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Today, folks, in this story, in this story about a sinkhole, story about a pothole, there are going to be lessons for us coming from three different directions. My prayer is that each of us, including me, will find these lessons pertinent for our lives. God bless you. You may be seated. So there are vital lessons in this story. And I want to start off with the first two lessons, and I want to walk through those rather quickly. And then for the third lesson, I kind of want to pump the brakes. I want to slow down and take some time with that one. Let's learn the first lesson from the brothers. If you want to take notes today, I've tried to provide you with some fill-in-the-blank for yourselves there on the back of the bulletin. Hopefully that helps you as we walk through these. Uh, The first lesson is from the brothers. Very simple, be kind. Because hatred is like a dirty bomb. Now, we're going to talk about that more, but let's get into this. Now, we've already witnessed that this morning that Joseph's brothers were wicked guys. I mean, you cannot read this text and think, oh my goodness. I mean, I've had squabbles with my siblings, but that's a little bit crazy, right? I mean, they were living in hatred. They hated their brother so much, they almost killed him. And then they sold him off for 20 shekels of silver. And that hatred, here's the point I want to make, it tormented them for years. And because of that, that's why I'm making the statement today that hatred is like a dirty bomb. Why do you say that, Pastor Danny? Well... Let's talk about a dirty bomb. Probably by now in in this sad age that we live in of terrorism, we've learned what a dirty bomb is. A dirty bomb, just to remind us, is a conventional weapon, right? It's a conventional explosive, but it releases radioactive or biological contaminants. So the greatest damage, the greatest fear of a dirty bomb is the lingering effects that it leaves over time. And I say hate is that way because hate is the same way. Hate leaves things for all of us. Think about Joseph. Joseph's brothers, in their hatred, they surrounded him. They stripped him naked. They threw him into a hole. But the pain that day was not just Joseph's. He had a lot of pain. But the pain was also the brothers. Can you imagine how many sleepless nights they endured because of what they had done? And I think that's the lesson for us today. The effects of hatred, they linger. I've got a tough question because I think this is where this hits home. Why is it that people we hurt the most are often in our own families? Why is it the people that we hurt the most are often in our own families? You see, I know in in talking about this, that this is going to impact us this way. There are many people that live in misery because of something that you did to a loved one in the past. And, and maybe it's like this lingering radioactive fallout in your soul. Um, you have guilt, right? 
There's guilt for what's happened, for what you said, for what you did, for, for something you did when you were kind of out of control and you would, and you could take it, you would take it back if you could. You have guilt. But here's the good news. God can cleanse you of guilt if you'll come to Him in repentance and faith. You see, the main, the main message here with the brothers is that we should be kind especially to those in our own family. That's a simple lesson off the top of this text. Uh, the second lesson is, is not from the brothers. This one moves to the dad, and you remember the dad is Jacob. So the first lesson is be kind. The second lesson is be honest. Be honest because those who deceive will be deceived. So what the brothers did was terrible with a capital T, right? It was terrible. They dipped Joseph's coat in blood. They took it back to show their own father. Uh, there's a beautiful painting actually done about this scene. I want to show it to you today. It's done by the Spanish artist Diego Velasquez. So take a peek at that with me. This is the moment that the brothers are arriving to show the dad. They're lying to their dad about Joseph. And Jacob can be seen, look at this, he's coming up out of his seat as he stares in horror at that bloody coat. But I want you to look off to his left, it's kind of shaded in this, in this view, you'll need to look it up and look at it close. But those two off to, his, off to his right and our left, what are they doing? Two brothers, one seems to be chuckling and the other is visibly smirking. Now, I'm not sure if you can see that. So these brothers, they thought this was pretty cute, what they were doing, right? Pretty funny, fooling the old man. But we know the rest of the story. This is a classic, what comes around, goes around. Jacob is kind of getting back what he did to others, remember? He's a victim of deceit because he himself was a deceiver. Now, we don't have to do much to remind ourselves of the story because we've just been here. What did Jacob's name mean? Somebody say it out loud. The grabber, right? The one who grabs the heel. He had been grabbing for stuff his whole life. Everything he could get. He and his mom had fooled the dad into giving him the blessing rather than his brother. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. And now he finds himself on the other side of the coin. It's what the English poet Sir Walter Scott said. It's so true. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we seek to deceive. And this is where Jacob is. I heard this story. A man was interviewing for a job at a large firm in New York City, and the interviewer asked him, good question, by the way, if no one ever found out about it and nobody was ever, ever hurt, would you lie for a $1 million? And the man thought about it. He said, no one would find out about it? No. Nope. Nobody would ever get hurt? No. Nope. Okay. Sure, I'd lie for a million dollars, he said. And then the guy doing the interview, the employer said, would you lie for a dime? <laughs> he said, no, what kind of guy do you think I am? And the interviewer said this. He said, I've already determined that. I'm now just trying to find out what your price is. Hmm. So we kind of have to ask, what's your price? Are you an honest person? And honesty is the best policy, 
It's not just the best policy. It's the only policy in the Bible, right? If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. So, so, so the first lesson by the brothers, be kind because hatred is like a dirty bomb. The second lesson is from, from Jacob, be honest because those who deceive will be deceived. So those are the first two lessons in, in this really incredible story. But the third lesson, it comes from Joseph himself. And this is the one where we're going to slow down quite a bit. So be kind, be honest, now be strong because God's children sometimes hit rock bottom. Be strong because God's children sometimes hit rock bottom. I think this is the lesson in the story. The other two are just peripheral type lessons. But this is the lesson because the road to success is often littered with potholes. It's often littered with sinkholes. And there's no doubt when Joseph was 17 years old, he thought he was invincible, bulletproof, all right? Like all teenage boys, can you imagine then his shock when his brothers surround him, daddy's favorite son, and they rip off his coat and they toss him into a hole? I mean, he was on the fast track to success. And suddenly, he finds himself in an involuntary pit stop, right? Literally. His brothers throw him into hitting rock bottom. Now, can that happen to us? Has it ever happened to you? Well, sure it has, and and it can. The truth is that life is filled with painful circumstances. Life is filled with troubling things that happen. Hitting rock bottom is not an uncommon experience. Many of us could tell the tale today of when it happened to us. The key to success, though, is how you react when you find yourself hitting rock bottom. George Patton, General George Patton said this, success is how high you bounce when you hit the bottom. So today you may be in one of those places. It may be very unexpected to you. You may be very frustrated that you're there. But today, I think there are three things you have to remember if you are hitting a rock-bottom circumstance. These are the three things I want to go over. First, when you're in a sinkhole, remember, there's no panic in heaven, only plans. If you're hitting rock bottom today, you need to hear this. There's no panic in heaven, only plans. You know, if it had been, if I had been in Joseph's sandals... I would have freaked out when they threw me in the cistern, right? I would have freaked out when I hit the pit. I would have shouted, what are y'all doing? I'm your brother. You can't do this. He probably said the same thing. But there is a good thing about being in a pit. And you know what that is. When you hit rock bottom, what do you have to do? You have to look up. And when you look up, you discover that God never gets in a panic. I've said this many times before. There are two words that God has never said. you know what those are? Uh-oh. God's never said that. There's no panic in heaven. And in these terrible pits we find ourselves in in life, sometimes God allows those difficulties to test us. 
And I, I know that nobody likes a test. I get it. It reminds me of the boy who, who had been studying hard for a test in school. I know we're in summer right now. We don't want to talk about tests, but it's a good story. Before he went to bed, his parents overheard this prayer. He was in there praying out loud. Now I lay me down to rest and hope to pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take, right? <laughs> nobody likes tests. And we don't like tests in life. But, but God uses those to do what? To teach us. To teach us. He's teaching us to trust Him. He allows us to go to, to, go to the rock bottom so that we'll look up to Him. If you're in a pothole, if you're in a sinkhole right now, remember there's no panic in heaven, there's only plans. That this might be God's plan to teach you. Let me give you a second thing. When you're in a sinkhole or a pothole, remember coincidence is not in God's vocabulary. Coincidence is not in God's vocabulary. So think this through with me. Joseph gets thrown into a pit, and here's the thing we have to think about. And it just so happened that a caravan of traders came by, and it just so happened that they were headed to Egypt, and it just so happened the brothers decided to sell Joseph off rather than kill him. Wow, wasn't Joseph so lucky that all those things just happened to take place? No, friend, Joseph wasn't lucky. He was blessed, right? He was blessed of God. You see, coincidence is not how God thinks. It's not in the equation. You shouldn't believe in coincidence either. You should believe in the sovereignty of a holy God. Christians should never be somebody who says, well, that was just a good luck today on my part. No, God's in control. Let me explain it like this. How many of y'all do jigsaw puzzles in your house? Raise your hand high. Let me see. All right, we got some puzzlers out there. Good. All right, from time to time, we'll take over the dining room table in our house, and there'll be a puzzle. So think about a jigsaw puzzle. When people start a puzzle, what do they do? They open the box, and they dump out all the pieces. And then what's the second thing that you do? You set up the box top so that you can see what the puzzle's supposed to look like, right? That's how it works. And it's terribly hard and difficult if the box top is not there. So much confusion. You don't even know what you're after, right? So frustrating. Folks, our lives are the same way. We get frustrated because all we see is the individual pieces. We don't see how everything fits together. But please listen this morning. When it comes to the puzzle of your life, God has the box top. God has the final picture, and that means He has a purpose for you. And what's happening in your life, it's not by chance, it's not by coincidence. No, God has a plan, and His plans are for you to what? To succeed. And success is what? Finding and following God's will for your life. Does that make sense? When you're in a sinkhole, please know that there is coincidence is not in God's vocabulary. Let me give you the third lesson. If you're in a pothole or a sinkhole, remember your deliverance may show up disguised as more trouble. Now this is important for us to hear. Because if we don't know this truth, we're going to get really concerned. But it is what happened to Joseph. He was suffering in a rock bottom of a cistern when he feels a rope hit him in the shoulder. Hot dog, he says. 
great news. They say, grab hold of the rope, we're pulling you up. And I'm sure he was thrilled. But instead, when he gets to the top of the cistern, his hands were bound behind his back. He's tied to a pack of camels. He wasn't free. He wasn't freed from the pit. No, now he's a slave. I mean, you talk about trading one trouble for another. That's how life feels sometimes. Sometimes it feels like you go from the frying pan into the fire. That's the phrase that we use. But in those times, you have to realize God just might be in that, right? And for Joseph, he didn't get that at first. It was only later that he understood how God had used all of these seemingly terrible events for good. I mean, listen to what he says. Go all the way over to Genesis 45, 5, because this is the one where spiritual hindsight so valuable. He says, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Folks, he didn't come to that that day when he was put in shackles. No, that was achieved over looking back at all that God had been doing. You see, he finally understood God's leading. He understood that God was with him when he was an arrogant teenager. He understood that God was with him when he was suffering in a pit of despair. God was with him when he was thrown into prison. God was with him when he finally ruled as prime minister over all of Egypt in the palace. So today, here's the power of this. You may be in a sinkhole. You may be in a pothole. But don't be discouraged. And don't despair. Don't panic because what? God is there with you. He's with you. I want to close with this. A man fell into a hole, into a pit. And an optimist comes along and he says, things could be worse. Right? A pessimist comes along and says, things are going to get much worse. A subjective person comes along and says, I feel your pain down in the pit. An objective person comes along. It's logical that there are pits to fall into. A Pharisee comes along. Only bad people end up in pits. An IRS agent comes along. Are you paying taxes down in that pit? A name-it-and-claim-it preacher comes by. Just confess that you aren't really in a pit, he says. An engineer comes along. He measures the depth of the pit. A newspaper reporter comes by and says, How exactly do you feel down in the pit? But then God comes by. You know what God does? He gets down.